The following is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org. Hi, I'm Dr. Hackey Reitman. Welcome to another episode of Exploring Different Brains. And today we're so lucky to have coming to us, to us, we're in Florida and up there in the freezing Yukon, not Yukon, but UConn, University of Connecticut, from their terrific Include program for neurodiversity, Dr. Arash Zaghi and Dr. Marisa Karisoku. My, my students always call me Dr. C, so Dr. there you go. C. Now, why don't you guys introduce yourselves properly? You go, for, uh, you go first, Marissa. Uh, thank you, Haiki. So um, I'm, I'm so happy to uh, meet and talk with you today. So I'm Marissa Crisoco, and I am a professor of civil and environmental engineering at the University of Connecticut, also the head of the department. And uh, I am very fortunate to, to lead this um, initiative of the Department on Neurodiversity. Okay, Arash, you're up. Sure, uh, thank you for the opportunity. It is great to be with you, Haki, today. Uh, I'm an associate professor in the Department of uh, Civil and Environmental Engineering. Marissa essentially is my boss and a mentor. And, uh, and I started this research actually a few years back. And uh, here we are today after many projects that we did. First, let me say that I love the INCLUDE program that you have. And I love the fact that you've um, created, I love in your word and you're creating an uh, ecosystem for everything. And then also that you're, you're in the Department of Civil Engineering and environmental as well. So it's so good to be combining the sustainability with the engineering, with all of our different brains, our neurodiversity. Um, tell us if you can, how you guys started this program. So I think that Arash has to answer this question because he's really, you know, the, the pioneer and the, and the one who initiated all activities related to neurodiversity in the department. Sure, Marisa. So heck, it all started with a personal experience and uh, my personal diagnosis actually with ADHD uh, about six, seven years ago. Uh, so I was going from doctor to another one to be able to figure what's wrong with me that I have so much anxiety and uh, it's so difficult for me that uh, I manage my uh, daily tasks. Um, I think I was in my second year as an assistant professor and in academia the pressure is very high in uh, on junior faculty. It remains high but uh, junior faculty, they don't know how to juggle many balls. And, um, and uh, I was extremely fortunate that one of, I mean, the last doctor that I met asked me uh, after five minutes of talking and introduction, oh, have you been diagnosed with ADHD? And um, I, it was never on my radar. I always knew that I 
have a slightly different brain or maybe drastically different brain uh, because uh, even going many years back in my primary school, I had uh, problems with some of subjects that they were super easy for other kids, but I had absolutely no problem with challenging like math or physics classes. And uh, so I knew that, and uh, but I never wondered if it can be ADHD because I was able to cope with that. But at that point in my life and career, essentially my coping strategies had failed and I wasn't able to actually to manage my, my daily uh, responsibilities uh, without extreme anxiety. Uh, and uh, so I did a test, it was a self-report and I think that was the highest score I got in in a test ever <laughs> so and she said like how how could this be i mean that you, you score so high in this and then uh, have uh never sought any formal diagnosis um that was a big question uh but i immediately asked okay what should i do now i mean like this was a new revelation to me i mean that was a new identity and and uh as opposed to immediately writing a prescription for me. Uh, she suggested that I educate myself about this. Uh, I don't know if she did that particularly because she knew I'm in academia, I'm into kind of learning about fundamentals of, of things and like more technical literature or uh, she suggests that to all the patients. So anyways, I mean like she suggested like a few books and articles and uh, they were mainly self-help books. Uh, but as I was reading, I, um, again, my ADHD distracted me to more technical scientific uh, articles, uh, mainly discussing the association of, for example, like risk-taking, divergent thinking, uh, novelty-seeking, those traits with ADHD, because like, those uh, self-help books, mainly they, they focus on the challenges. I mean, like problems and uh, issues that, uh, that we face in academia or in the work environment. And I mean, 100% of the focus is on that. Maybe they mention here and there that, oh, they are like creative people sometimes. I mean, but that's not their focus. And that's how they sell their books. So, uh, and I started like reading some technical article and like one paper I remember that I, I found, a, found it like late at night and it kept me up like 3 a.m. until I finished it. And it was a very interesting work that was done in Norway and England. Uh, and they had done simulations of hypothetical societies with like population and they had introduced like changes, it was all computation, uh, computational work. Uh, they had introduced some changes to their kind of food resource and then they had like homogenous societies and societies on a, with a percentage of unexpected people with traits similar to what we see, for example, in those with ADHD, risk takers, those that they can uh, think outside the box. And they had shown with those simulations that like, those societies that they are homogenous 
and um, they, everyone thinks the same way, likewise. I mean, like they diminish after a few months of introducing that kind of like food shortage. And there is a kind of sweet spot for what percentage of, and then they had done the other like end of the uh, spectrum analysis on the under, that everyone is a risk taker, everyone is unexpected. And those societies also diminish. And they had shown that like uh, seven to 15% of population, uh, if they have these traits, it helps the survival because they can risk they can explore new things, unexpected findings, and they can pass along this knowledge. And so the light went on in your brain to work from the positive that this is uh, like a superpower you might have. And that if we focus on the positives, we can move forward together much better. And then, um, and Marisa, so, Arash was self-discovering his own ADHD and discovering tools and how to go about it and wanted to share this with others. What about your journey? Well, um, I, you know, uh, while all this was happening, uh, I was I was focused on doing my own research. Um, and then what happened was that, um, like you said, Arash, you know, took, you know, this revelation and turned it into positive, you know, not only for himself, but for others as well, you know, and so he started, you know, with, with research helping and, and projects helping neurodiverse students in the department, essentially, you know, like a year or two after his own self-discovery. And so by 2018 or 19, you know, when I, I became department head, you know, we had kind of like approximately three or four years, I want to say, of, of exposure of the department, progressive exposure, you know, to these new ideas, new to us, you know, that neurodiversity is in an in engineering and in general for the world is a positive. And so when I became department head and I asked Arash to be associate head, we were talking about ways that we wanted to improve education and we wanted to improve, you know, inclusivity in the department as a whole. So that was kind of like my mission and my, you know, my, my idea for what I want, you know, for, for an engineering school. And um, uh, Arash kind of like introduced the neurodiversity lens into this idea of inclusivity. And I immediately saw that, you know, this is this is a lens that not many people have taken in our world, and um, that is really has a lot of promise for the future and a lot of promise both for education, but also for innovation in general. And so then, you know, we, we work together to write a proposal to the National Science Foundation to take the work that he, uh, that he started, you know, to the next level by embracing it, you know, in the entire department and hopefully beyond that as well. Now, have you gotten pushback or has this been embraced? It has been completely embraced. I'm actually, you know, uh, it's it's very interesting because from the beginning, you know, the, the culture shift and how that may happen was, you know, a question mark that we had. And, you know, we kind of like expected that, you know, it may not be easy to accomplish, but there has been, has, has been a tremendous response. And I think there are a couple of different factors. One factor is that I think society as a whole is kind of like moving that way, you know, like, Black Lives Matters and Me Too, you know, and a lot of different societal forces are pushing towards inclusivity. And so, you know, equity and diversity, you know, of like 
people should, you know, should also extend to brain differences. Um, and um, I, I think people just saw that. The other part is that, you know, there are a lot of people who are neurodiverse and who don't necessarily say so. Right. And, and so a lot of people, uh, I think, um, identify with this. You know, we have students, parents, colleagues, you know, all kinds of people come and say, oh, my gosh, I was waiting for something like this. Um, so I have been really overwhelmed by the positive response. Well, that's just great. It's very encouraging to hear that. You know, you use the word traits, which is something that's really coming into focus lately in my own brain. Uh, I spoke with Tim Goldstein of timgoldstein.com, and uh, he introduced me to a term I think he started using with his uh, interns, uh, neurodistinct. People have neurodistinct traits, as opposed to looking for the whole diagnosis. There, everyone has so much in common, a little bit more of an ADHD type trait, a little bit. But, you know, we're finding out more, for instance, in ADHD, that it's not so much the focus problem, it's the executive function. Um, I'm recently self-diagnosing myself with adult ADHD because I'm always all over the place. Um, but there is such overlap between, uh, say, ADHD traits and Asperger's and autistic traits and anxiety traits, and they all overlap because you can't have, uh, for instance, autism and not have some anxiety and depression associated with it. So at differentbrains.org, we have the mental health issues right there alongside with the developmental differences right there with the neurological differences such as epilepsy, Parkinson's and so forth, because they all coalesce. Um, so what you've done there at UConn with the INCLUDE program is uh, how has the response been with enrollment and so forth for your program? I think it's so, kind of like too too early to say, right? Right, Arash, about that. Yeah, I agree with you. I agree with you. It's uh, it's at its infancy. So um, so far, we've been very successful in terms of like uh, raising awareness, making noise, culture shift, and uh, making people aware of this. And uh, Marissa is working really hard to institutionalize it. In, within the department and beyond. But I think, Mercy um, can speak to that, but I think it takes a few years to see the impact of that on enrollment. Well, you know, it's uh, what I found myself that, um, um, you know, it, it's like, for instance, our terrific neurodivergent interns, you know, we have six of them applying to medical school. And, um, some of them wanted to stay in the closet, so to speak, with their neurodiversities. And uh, I, I said, well, look, I, I commuted for 30 years to Boston University. I was an assistant professor there teaching anatomy and orthopedics. Now I give lectures in neurodiversity up there. Um, but I was an orthopedic surgeon by trade. But I said, you know, I was for a small period of time, I was on the admissions committee. And um, 
you have to do something that distinguishes yourself of being different. And I said, if it was me, I would embrace it. And I'll, I'll kind of a light one on and I said, make it part of your resume, be proud of it. So uh, one of them is uh, writing a book on ADHD. And if you go on our website, you see um, the uh, Power Tools webisode series with Ali Idris, who's going to be a great uh, physician someday, and Brooke Schnittman, who's an expert in ADHD. Um, it, we have another with uh, severe OCD. And um, now she's writing a book about that, you know, and then to give each other tools. What tools did you use to become successful now that you have a master's degree or you're in college? And uh, I find that getting people to come out of the closet, so to speak, um, takes a little bit of showing that it's in their best interest to do that. When you talk about someone like Sean Smith, who introduced us to you with Don't Diss My Abilities, who's to me is he's one of the pioneers. He's going out there and pushing it. It's people. fantastic. He really is. Um, how did you guys meet Sean? So I have a colleague, um, 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 Jamie Barr, who is works for Langan Engineering, and um, Jamie and I have been working together on another initiative, the Brownfields Initiative, you know, for years. And um, somehow I mentioned this to him as part of one of our meetings, um, and he introduced me to Sean. You know, said, you know, I have a friend Sean who is fantastic. You know, you should talk to him. So um, I talked to him, and so you know, yeah, the next is history. He was included in the proposal, and then you know we've been. Get working together ever since. Can I uh, um, say something about what you mentioned? Because it Absolutely. was like right to the point. Uh, you mentioned about like these traits and for example, like we have ADHD and we have like anxiety, depression, and, and that's very true. That's what we are seeing. The prevalence of, for example, anxiety and, and depression is like way higher than like normal people. But I want to make a case here that it's not supposed to be like that. It, and it wasn't like that in like ancient societies because they had the luxury of to do uh, doing things uh, their own way, adventure seeking, you know, risk taking. They were hunter, they were warrior. I mean, like they were, there was nothing in that time to bore you or, you know, like you make you kind of like frustrated with life. So, and we gradually, after we started farming and all of those things, and then I think, I mean, like uh, the knockout actually, I would say punch was our over-standardized education system for- One size fits all. One size fits all. I mean, look at the standard test. It is a standardized, how you perform if you're good. Standardized tests, they measure standard brains or, or capabilities of standard brains. So they don't do anything other than that. So, and uh, it's fine if we say, okay, this education system, you know, like for people to know, it is only designed for this segment of the society. So others, they find their own way. And, you know, like look at tech people, I mean, like, uh, those giants 
and innovators in 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 tech industry they they many of them are dropouts they don't care about sure. education i mean but, they you know, and the one size fits all that permeates our employment system our educational system um <laughs> everything about us is well like my daughter taught me you know uh every brain is like a snowflake and no two are alike and once we get that head in there then everything gets easy once you look at an individual like that and say gee your uh your eyesight's not so good maybe i'm not gonna write on the blackboard or <laughs> you can hear <laughs> maybe i won't have you listen to tapes and it can be that simple but we seem to make it much more difficult now you guys are in civil engineering and um tell us tell me your thoughts on the subject of universal design for accessibility marissa you're on. i'm going to put you on the spot okay um well I th we think that uh, universal design is a great foundation on which to start. So universal design is kind of like the minimum on which our project wanted to build. You know, so so you start from the idea that yes, you're going to have multiple modes of representation. You're going to have captions. You know, and and all these things. But um, that is something that is we we think we can go beyond that and and go. A, do a better than that in the sense that we don't want to focus on accessibility. We don't want to focus on what you cannot do and remedy that, but we want to focus on people's strengths and and students' abilities instead of you know um, instead of the remedy. So so while you're, we're using universal design as a tool, we don't think that that alone is going to make the difference in terms of the educational system. Where can people um, learn more about the INCLUDE program? Mercedes, the website I would suggest? Or... Yes, right now it, it, it is the website. I mean, it's... Um... It's it's probably it doesn't I guess it doesn't have a whole lot of information on this right now because we're building we're actually building a new website that's going to be called neurodiversity.ucon.edu um, that's going to be you know a more general resource uh, we have put more information more effort into you know our our activities rather than advertising the program itself well, how, I would say <laughs> can they email you can they uh, how how would people if people have an interest in your include program at UConn, how can they contact you and learn more? Oh, so so the, the information is on the website, you know, my contact information and the contact information of uh, the, the program manager, Connie uh, Siharad is also is also there. Um, so we ha we have put more effort so far into, um, in, you know, increasing awareness and people learning about the project within the university. 
through different avenues. Uh, our next step is uh, we are conducting a high school outreach program uh, within the state. So we're going to be talking, you know, and, cre and uh, creating some webinars for, um, I think, something like 800 high schools or something like that within uh, uh, the state of Connecticut. Um, so our efforts have mostly been local because we are the flagship university of the state of Connecticut. So 75% of our students are actually from the state. But if people outside from the state, you know, want to learn about it, yes, I guess the website is the best, the best place to, to find us. And we will be populating more with uh, videos and webinars and things like that as we're creating content. Um, is there anything we have not covered today that you would like to cover? you know that one message that I would like to get you know to to like young uh, people out there is that you know um you know, it's it's important to advocate for yourself. Uh, it's important to believe in your own abilities and your own strengths, and you know to find uh, to find your place in the world. And uh, engineering, you know, and STEM uh, may not always, you know, feel welcoming, but uh, we believe that. Um, you know, all neurodiverse people have not just a place in engineering and STEM, but they are critical for the future of it. And so, you know, we'd really like to, you know, for, for young people to see themselves as uh, future creators and, and join our ranks. Arash, what would you say? And if I may use your platform actually to, uh, so what, <sighs> I hope very soon, and very soon is like in a year or two, we start realizing that terminology matters and uh, the words that we use to describe a condition, it doesn't need to come from like medical field. I mean, we call something deficit, disability, things like, and that medical field needs to be as specific as possible and things are set in a way and it doesn't matter, there are names, I mean, like, they don't, they're not ashamed of naming things, different names. I mean, like that's medical field. Education is not, doesn't need to be like that. In education, we don't need to call a student disabled because they are not, they are not. I don't consider myself disabled. I'm different. In this context, yes, I'm very different. I have challenges, but I'm not disabled. Disabled, let's think about the definition. Let's think about the meaning of that. It means that I'm incapable. I cannot do things. So terminology matters and we have to be very careful how we describe these kids because that using that terminology in education uh, leads to stigmatizing, stigmatization of these kids. And that leads to a lot of other problems because they see this pressure and they don't, they don't feel comfortable to discuss this with others and they internalize this kind of pain, their, their own experience. If it was something that we could just openly discuss and say like how shared these experiences are. And I, I, I have students, I have worked with groups that we have, um, they have ADHD and we talk about our experiences. It's just like, it's funny. And when it's like how similar those are. So it should be like that. And when you discuss, when, when you laugh it out, it's not going to be something that you blame yourself for. It doesn't corrode your confidence, essentially. So I think that's that's very important that we start using the right terminology in education and in general. Well, it's been a pleasure to have you both here. 
Thank you so much, Arash and Marissa from the University of Connecticut Include program. Keep up the great work you both do for those of us whose brains are a bit different. And uh, we hope to see you again soon. Thank you so much. Thank you too, Haki. It's been a pleasure uh, chatting with you. Thank you, Haki. We really appreciate the opportunity. Exploring Different Brains is a production of Different Brains. Visit us at differentbrains.org.